When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi, Fergus. How are you? I'm okay. I'm sort of like going through what has been so far about 10, 15 minutes of low-level tension about um, my internet for whatever reason. Um, it's, it's not really going very well. So I think we're all pretty confident that there's a strong chance that um, everything we're doing right now will be completely pointless, which does tally quite well with um, Newcastle United season. So let's use that as a jump-off point. To talk about football. So we played. uh, We're just gonna. We're just gonna go through the standard uh, Newcastle Natter format, which is talk about the most recent game, talk about anything else that's going on in the club, get some social media, predict the next game, and then fuck off. But I mean, it's it's. Is this going to be up there with the most depressing? Let's make it not be. Let's let's do our best to make it uplifting, even if we have to sing a song. Okay, let's make it uplifting. Let's start by talking about the West Brom game. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is going to be. Okay, take take it over, Paul, and make it uplifting. (laughs) Summarize the West Brom game in an uplifting way. Go. We didn't lose. Correct. I am uplifted. Thanks very much for listening to the Newcastle Natter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. It Dave, was bad. It was awful. It was, he set us up not to lose in a game against the team that was, what, 19th? Yeah. Uh, worst defence in the league. We set up with no strikers. Um, it was, it was, I saw it referred to on Twitter as El Jurassico, because it was. It was just two long ball teams with no real ambition of making it a, an entertaining fixture. Both 
both managers quite happy with the draw. Bruce, I'm, I'm convinced that Bruce was expecting Fulham to get beaten by Liverpool and was thinking, well, one point will take us. We'll be, you know, four points clearer than that's good going into the next one of fixtures and stuff like that. I just, it was an opportunity to, to really um, get a bit of breathing space and he bottled it as he has done before. It was the same as, as the Sheffield United game. He set up not to lose. And it was fucking, it was terrible. I think what was as depressing as that, it, w- it was that bad, but tactically it was baffling as well. Like we spoke on the pod last week about you need to find a way to get Gale or Carroll into that starting 11, because otherwise mm. there's no goal for that. And we've been playing a new system recently that's geared towards getting the best out of Almiron, St. Maximin and Wilson. With those three players out, there's literally no reason to stick to that system. No. But we decided to keep going at the expense of having a striker on the pitch. We've just stuck with that. And I, like we've criticised him previously for flitting between systems and, and having like... I'd love um, a flit now. It'd be amazing. <laughs> but this is it. If, if the personnel is available and the opposition is... Um, is the right kind of opposition to play the, that way against. Um, you, you can change. Like he did it again, where he took off. Um, he took off Fraser and brought on Carroll, and for like, well, Carroll for like what, one hundred eighty seconds. What? That was the most pointless substitution I've ever seen. I just, well, brought, I think, I genuinely think the reason for that substitution, it was actually about thirty seconds, and I think that the reason for that substitution. It was a time-wasting substitution. I genuinely—he made that substitution because he was holding out for the draw. I thought it was the biggest indicator of that being the plan at that stage. So I think it was one of those cases of, yeah, yeah, we would have liked a win. Of course, we always want to win, but you know, a draw is a good result, which is ludicrous under the circumstances. I think West Brom. it's not like they went gung ho at all, but I think they genuinely were making more of a, an effort to win the game because, in the context of their season, they absolutely have to win the game because, although they're almost certain to go down, the, there's no way they can be settling for draws anywhere at the moment. Um, yeah, that's we, fair. But we definitely, uh, it was very reminiscent of. The Sheffield United game. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a psychology behind it, which is almost like the worse the team, it's like he's sort of second thinking. I know my internet's gone funny. Hello? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. The worse the team, it's almost like he second guesses himself and thinks, well, if I play really conservatively, then I'll definitely win that game. I don't want to ruin it by going gung-ho and being too confident. If I play really conservatively, then do you see what I'm saying? It's like a Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think every game we have where it's like, we cannot lose this game. Whether you compare us to Fulham at the minute, who Mm. you would think Fulham against Liverpool would be thinking, let's try and get a draw here but they actually go for it. We're against West Brom, who've conceded 
a fuck ton 56. of gold. Yeah. And we decide, well, let's just shut up shop. And, and we got a clean sheet, which in a way is a positive. We only got a clean sheet because they can't finish. Hmm. And a point, it sent us up the table in a way. So I don't, in some ways, personally, personally, partly because we've criticised them a lot during the season for flitting about with formations. Personally, I don't have a particular issue with us sticking with that system. I do have an issue with the selection and the impetus and the drive in the actual mm. game. I would have, as usual, I won't surprise you here by saying I would have loved to have seen Jacob Murphy play. Mm. Certainly ahead of someone like Jeff Hendrick, certainly ahead of Joe Linton. I think every game does some quite good things. And I, I wonder whether Joe Linton maintains a place, not just because of his price tag, but because maybe he comes out quite well in some of the stats. I think in a weird way, he was one of our best players in this game, which isn't saying a lot. But the, the, the annoying thing is, if you're going to stick to this formation and it's centred around having this sort of false nine striker who's going to be sort of dropping deeper than a striker would to bring the wingers into play. That's what we've been told Joe Linton's best position is, is sort of that Firmino type of role. But we don't bother putting him in there. We put Joe Willock in that role, who's never played that in his life, and is an yeah. on-loan youth player who's meant to spearhead every attack. It's, it's too much pressure to put on like a young kid, if that's Joe Linton's best position, play him there. Then you can get a world-class player like Jacob Murphy out on the wing, <laughs> feeding those balls in. But it's just—I think it would be I one think... of the ongoing mis- I think one of the ongoing mysteries for eternity, like how can you get perpetual motion or what created the universe? One of the ongoing mysteries will be what is Joe Linton's supposed best position because we have played about 40 different formations this season and yet none of them included Joe Linton's best position so I think my my thing on Joe Linton is that if he was to be played in uh, in a side that had been playing that like front foot football that we tried to play after the um, after the Leeds game um, if he'd been played in that kind of that kind of team for the duration, I think we would have seen better out of him. Yeah. But we don't have the strength and depth, nor the manager, nor, if we're honest, like the the, the personnel to rely on that kind of football for the duration of the season because we're not on the football enough. We don't have the ball enough to, for him to to really have time to pick a pass and or, or to 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 play like that Firmino role. He, he he will go down as arguably the worst signing in our history. I mean 40 million quid and you'd be lucky to get 10 for him now. It's just I would absolute... say at the moment though he is looking a better footballer than Ryan Fraser. Really? Yeah, I think Ryan Fraser, all he offers, which is important, is very good dead ball delivery. If it wasn't for that, I would say Fraser is giving us nothing and looks 
like the mercenary who ducked out of Bournemouth mm. at the end of last season. He, I, I no doubt about it. He's been, no doubt about it. He's been dis- he's been disappointed. He did create our last goal. I get very um, strong Damien Duff relegation season vibes from Ryan Fraser. Maybe, yeah. but he did he did create our last goal and what few. We had a couple of good moments. No, we didn't have a couple of good moments. We had a couple of moments that looked like they could become good moments at the in the first third of the West Brom game. Yeah. And that was thanks in part to Ryan Fraser's pace and running. But when it came came down to it, once it was in the box, either he or Joe Linton made the wrong choice. But yeah. I think he is a a threat but ultimately I think his biggest threat is as a kind of assist machine and that's where you need someone like Carol or even Gail who's going to get into the penalty area and be available to be picked out but you see him when he gets into dangerous positions there's no ball on he either has to keep running and hope someone catches up with him or go by himself I'm tempted to almost put the West Brom game to bed already. Because, I mean, it's just depressing, right? There's not a lot to say. I think we've said the general vibe is, you know, we, we didn't play it. Not only did we play poorly, but we, we played with the wrong mentality completely for the situation. And like you say, Dave, I think you're probably right that there was an assumption amongst a lot of people, including both of you, I think, um, Liverpool would beat Fulham and I think you remember I was the one who's making the case not that Fulham would beat Liverpool but that like it's sport and there's not it's it's not there, there was certainly a chance that that could happen mm. and uh, it did uh, go on would you I say was just, I was the only thing I was going to say about the the, the West Brom game and the and the Fulham result. The, I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying that like, oh well, of course Fulham beat Liverpool. They've been playing really well, and Fulham have been playing really badly. Those self same people would before the game have been saying the most likely result in that is a Liverpool win because even though Liverpool have been playing badly and Fulham have been playing well, there's still there's still a gap in in the quality. What Bruce did in my opinion is he fell into the trap of being like almost having the, the the ignorance of the fans and saying well Fulham will likely lose that one so let's not let's not like risk anything in the West Brom game let's like you're saying let's let's because they're shit we can't possibly lose to them so let's not overreach or anything and when it didn't when that didn't come to pass and when Fulham did win at Liverpool not only did they do they get like the, the buzz of beating somebody, but they've also caught up the like the the team in seventeenth. Had we beaten West West Brom, that Liverpool win would have been great and given them a lot of energy, but they'd still be three, you know, four, three, four if, points behind us. If that I'm not saying it isn't, but if that really is what he thought going into that get that game, if that, that really did play into his thinking Fulham's game against Liverpool then that is unbelievably thick <laughs> because 
even if Liverpool beat Fulham, there's what, 10 games left this season? And this is, was probably the most winnable of all of them. So I think think not in defence of Bruce, because I do think it was what Matt Ritchie would term a cowardly performance and a cowardly setup. But I think the only thing in his defence is he's probably looking at the rest of our games, third of the season to go, and thinking, I've got three games coming up without our three best attacking players. Any points out of them are a bonus, and then we hit the final straight with our strongest 11 assuming none of them get injured which is almost impossible with those three players I can sort of see the logic to that but I can't Mm. it's very hard to get behind going to that shitter West Brom team and thinking let's just hold on at the end and a point is a good result Mm. and it's not like West Brom have been playing well but in in a bad position like um like like Fulham are or, or like Brighton are, it, they've been playing really shit. They've got the worst defence in, in the league, even without our most attacking, uh, most um, highest quality attacking players. We should have still been able to at least threaten their goal. And we did. They had uh, they had just kept a clean sheet against Everton, but then Everton are the most yo-yo team in the world at the minute. But I think there has been a slight Allardyce effect, but not. Not at first that you normally expect, but it feels like they've tightened up a little. Hmm. Well, I think we're all agreed that there's a hundred different ways to say it, but we're very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking about the injuries, I just wanted to say that going on, um, you know, the physioroom.com, which has like the injuries and when, when, when players are expected back. You've got them all slated to return uh, the third or the fourth, um, which is I think it's after the Brighton game and just before the Tottenham game. Yeah, which is a shame because to have them back for Brighton would have been very useful because Brighton are struggling to score. So there's another game where you'd fancy if we could score one or two, then you'd expect us to to carry on and win. But if they're back for the Tottenham game, if they're all back for the Tottenham, like back fit for the Tottenham game, it gives me a lot more confidence going into the final seven or eight games. Yeah. I think one thing to hold on to is that we did look genuinely a much better side when they were all fit and we had stopped doing five at the back. Mm. And in a way, having them out for the Brighton game might not be the worst thing because Brighton, Brighton are at their worst when they're having the majority of possession. So I think it's better for us almost to be playing for a draw against Brighton and letting them have the ball. Because they're they're because they're quite good on the ball, aren't they? No, they look good, on, good the on the ball. Their best results all season have been when they've had, I think, less than forty five percent possession. Brighton are actually a very good counter attacking team. I think if we had all those players fit, we would almost be more susceptible to Brighton's counters, whereas you can only counter-attack a team that attacks, and I'm not sure we'll attack Brighton. Yeah, I would play. I'd play Carroll in that game. Um, yeah, just just him up front, and then hitting him with long balls, and trying to get Fraser and or um, Willick or in a nine-zero-one formation. 
pretty much because okay. Brighton they they have been struggling to score goals, and it's it's like Paul says they they just can't break a team down. They they knock the ball around beautifully, but they're just not putting the ball in the back of the net. Well, I'm sure they'll find a way. They could manage to score three against us, didn't they? Yeah, the only game where they've managed to put their chances away all season, pretty much, was against us. Mm. Um, yes, well, wh- however way you look at it, it wasn't a great weekend for us. And uh, I think on the last podcast, I was uh, looking at 538, who are a, a website that predict, uh, they model what the expected outcomes will be going forward. They were giving us a 29% chance of going down, which I was heralding as something to be positive about. When you actually looked at our situation, it wasn't that bad. But they now have us third favourites to go down. Um, and I'm basically assuming that West Brom and Fulham and um, Sheffield United are definitely down. So they've got us favourite third yeah. spot. So... I mean, it, it makes sense because you know, they they will have modelled a lot. They will have modelled that twenty nine percent chance um, based on the expected results in the two games, and the expected result in the Liverpool game definitely was going to be a Liverpool win because it's the strength of the side and all the rest of it, and even with the poor form. So it totally makes sense that the that the the, um, the percentage chance has has now flipped and put us as heavy, not heavy favourites, as the favourite to go be the third team that goes down. What I would say is that um, Brighton are on the same number of points as us. And for all they're playing nice football, they're not, they're not winning games. So if we're I'm in the right relegation discussion... Way. Are they? I thought they were. I thought they were joined on us on twenty-four points. Uh, twenty-six points. Oh yeah, they're on, sorry. They're joined on. They're joined with Fulham on, yeah. on twenty-six points. We're one point ahead of them. So Brighton have to be in the discussion. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if Fulham do, you know, find form and, and rack up the the the. Um, rack up the wins I don't think it's necessarily the case that the three teams that finish below Fulham will be the three teams that go down because I think there might be four or five teams that finish below Fulham so yeah. I think the other thing that's amazing for Fulham as well like Fulham have beaten Liverpool at Anfield any other season you would think okay that is a huge deal but actually what the last five teams to play at Anfield in a row have just done that so it's not it's not necessarily the beginning of a massive Fulham revival. They're in good form, but that doesn't mean they've not still got a tough run of fixtures coming up. Yeah, because up next, I think they've got Man City, Fulham. haven't they? Yeah. A lot of people are saying Fulham are basically safe, which seems to massively overlook their shortcomings from an attacking point of view. I mean, we look dog shit. So it's just always the case that, that people talk about things in like black and white terms forgive the pun just that you know it's either one or the other it's either we're definitely going down or we're definitely staying up it's like well it's always probably going to be until the very end of the season uh, a 
case of either or. You know, it, you know, it could be either. Um, the other, let's the other have a quick positive break. Then, just I mean, last more bit of positivity. For 15 minutes, Dave, but go for it. Um, we've got a game in hand over Fulham as well. So we've got one point and and a game in hand as well. So Okay. Now we can go Good. for a break. <laughs> oh, Paul. Oh, and Paul sneezed. Oh, Paul's we'll got have to run. start again. Start the pod from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we'll have a break and then we're going into social media and I think we'll be talking about all the same things. Again, there will be there'll be lots, you know, of ways that we can try and cheer ourselves up and bring each other down. And I'm sure eventually at some point we'll get onto Graham Jones. So stick around for that. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. I'm pleased to inform you that throughout the break, we also had lots of low-level detention discussions about technology. So um, that was fun. But we're back to talk about the most joyful thing in the world, which is Newcastle United. Uh, Dave Watson... There's some news on the takeover. Is it good? <laughs> um, so, uh, basically, there was a report out that we Newcastle United had uh, tried to um, raise a couple of issues with the, the, the arbitration. The arbitration is, is there to say that we don't think that the P- Premier League followed their own rules properly, and that's why the takeover didn't go through. So there were a couple of challenges. One was about one of the named um, uh, members of the panel. Uh, there was an accusation of bias. Now, the issue with this is, like, he has advised the Premier League before, and after one bit of advice that he gave them, they introduced a, a new wording to the rule saying that if it's a state who owns the club, they can't be engaged in pir- like pirating the Premier League product. So the Premier like the, the um, Newcastle lawyers have said, well, that's clear bias. The counterpoint of that is it's a really small pool of lawyers that you can pick from. So it'd be really difficult to find somebody who hadn't advised the Premier League in some way, some way, shape or form. So that was thrown out. But what I think as well, it would have the Newcastle lawyers would have been better off finding that out before recommending him to be one of the lawyers in the case as well. No, he he wasn't recommended by the by the Newcastle. He, well, no, didn't so they they agreed Newcastle. on him first, and then they. The way I've heard it is, 
they had no objections at first. And then this came out via his chambers saying, by the way, there was this ruling that he was involved in. And then we objected. So we'd initially okayed him. But then that's, I, I can, I think the, the letters that you're talking about were, um, were released, but then they might not have been available to us until this point, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so long story short, the bias claim has been thrown out, but what it does do is shine a light on this particular member of the panel. He will be under more intense scrutiny about um, any potential bias going on. So kind of jobs done on that regard. You know, it was, it was saying, we think he's biased. We don't want biased like, advice. Now there's a spotlight on him. So he, he has to appear impartial to the best of his ability. The other one was but I think like, publicity. From the, on the, on the yeah. matter of him, he's sort of very much top of that world of mm. sports law and in his 70s. So if there's one person that kind of tactic isn't going to work on, it's going to be him. I don't, no, think, it, I don't, I don't think he's in any way biased. I don't think our attempts to paint him as that is going to have any effect on him. No, but it just, it, I, I guess if they were to rule against it and we wanted to appeal that decision to a higher court, the the tactic could be to say, well, we accused it like, we were worried he was going to be biased. He's now come to this decision, which we think is because he's biased. You know, it it, it sets a precedent for for that complaint. So I don't know. But the, anyway, the other part was about the publicity of the the case, and the Newcastle wanted to be in the public eye. The Premier League didn't, and again, this was ruled against us. Uh, the the Premier League stating that. Uh, sorry, the court stating essentially that it's a, it's a private company um, trying to find a settlement with another private company. It is a private matter. It, there's no benefit for it to play out in the public eye, which I kind of agree on, and I don't really know why we would have wanted it played out in the public forum, but fine. I what think it the does one thing is, all this arbitration has done is added four months to the timeline that didn't need to be added as well because it's not really earned as much tactically from the if you're like Mike Ashley's point of view you've just wasted four months and now PIF are sniffing around into Milan you kind of think why why delay think, things this much when you could get into arbitration a lot quicker well what I've read on the the Inter Milan link is that PIF are interested in a minority stake, but they're still very much interested in owning Newcastle United outright. That's what I've read. But then because you don't hear anything from the Saudis, who the fuck knows? Um, there's a really good uh, tweet by, I think it's called The Football Law or Football Law, whatever. Um, I'll retweet it, but it, it, it breaks it down and it makes a good case that essentially the Premier League's position is that there is no separation between PIF and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, but it is the the author of this piece, his opinion that in Saudi law, there is, you know, distinct and separate entity, the PIF. Yes, they have members of the board, but they are to be treated as, a, as an individual entity, not part of the, the state. So there is a decent case to be made that if, if the PIF... 
um, if the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's own laws separate the two, um, then it's not really for a private company like the the Premier League to state, actually, you're wrong, we think mm. this. So that's that's his take on it. And that's it might make no difference whatsoever. But that's that's where we are. And don't worry, Fergus, that's all I've got to say on it. The okay. other the only other slight update, and I've absolutely no idea where it leaves us, but if we get relegated, then presumably that gets rid of the Premier League owners and directors test. Only until we get promoted. But presumably, I can't imagine them not letting a team come up from the championship because their owners don't meet the the criteria of the test, if you know what I mean. They won't let a Premier League, uh, they won't let a championship club come up to the Premier League without a stadium that fits the requirements. I could quite easily see them saying, either you restructure so that the the owners and directors can pass the owners and directors test, or you're not you're not being promoted. I I don't know what I'm talking about, but I find that that situation happening incredibly hard to believe. Yeah, but, you know, I, I you no, might, I'm, I'm be able to make a case for why that would happen, but mm. just. Um, Even with the stadium really, thing as well, you get the feeling they'd say, "Well, we'll waive it until you agree to get the building work done." And Bournemouth must have sailed close to the wind on that one. I just think, yeah, the, they had the to. real in the real world of like in what do you call it, real politic or whatever. Like the Premier League has been going for thirty years. I don't even know if the first division ever denied a team, a club entry into the top division. It would be such a huge story worldwide. Mm. So negative for the Premier League that I, I just cannot comprehend that happening. Can, especially yeah, when you consider that, that, I mean, I personally, through the whole thing, have never had any sort of like appetite for this takeover, any I mean, yes, there's like, you think, oh, well, yeah, well, maybe we could compete and that could be exciting. But I've always, it's always left a horrible taste in my mouth and I'm not keen on it in general, despite how depressing we are as a football club. But like, the Premier League is not a moral organisation. So it's one thing to stop a club being taken over for any number of reasons that people might have like conspiracy theories about which may well be correct it's one thing to do that but to stop a club being promoted i mean mm. I, yeah, not, I think so the only reason the only like, reason we aren't right. the only reason we aren't one of the richest clubs in the world right now is nothing to do with the saudi state's murder of jamal khashoggi or any no. of that, or nothing to do with their politics. It's completely about Bayin sports and television rights and piracy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, hundred percent. The other thing to to just if we were to be relegated, I don't know if Mike Ashley would take the financial hit that that would cost the valuation of this club. 
I don't know if he would sell the club for a hundred and fifty million when I think there's apps I think we're just back into the same cycle. There's no way he was he's always this is I think with the Saudi is, it's slightly different because he wants the the retail opportunities that offers. That's why he's mm. dismissing all other bids and is like this is why he's all in with the Saudis at the moment is just because the opportunities afforded to him with that market, which is why I think losing a hundred million off the valuation of the club or whatever that would be would not matter to him as much. Oh, I didn't realise that. Is that part of the deal? The idea that we Well, get, it's, we in get. his head it is. It's probably what will scupper the deal at the end if it does go through because he'll try and anchor more leverage in the he middle. Wants to open a, he wants to open a... A lily white. He wants to sell. (laughs) He wants wants puma socks on sand. (laughs) That's his dream. Wow. I tell you what, though, seeing Kylian Mbappe playing in the championship would be fucking hilarious. (laughs) Okay. Well, yes. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's the most pointless ongoing football. It's the most pointless ongoing conversation in the whole of podcasting. But there we are again talking about the Graham Jones. Great. Yeah. Now let's move on to Graham Jones. Graham Jones has lost the dressing room and needs to go. No. What we're going to do is we're going to go to social media, our beloved fans, and uh, and see what we've had today. Hang on a minute. Oh, has anyone got it? What's going on here? I seem to have I've lost got it. the tweets up on here. Go on, fire them out. Paul. First of all, Bedford Mag, who we, uh, we, I think we would say is a regular contributor who we often read out, says, you never read my shit out anyway, what's the point in even asking? I don't know if there's a Newcastle Natter listener who's had more fucking airtime on this podcast. Yeah. So I think Bedford Mad needs to take some time out and reevaluate. And come back with a question because that's what we asked for. Pathetic. <laughs> Theo Penn asks or says, I was really happy to see Chancel and Bemba playing well for Porto last night. Brackets, a player I think the fans really liked too. I'd agree with that. Is this the case of love after life? Which other players stand out as having more successful careers after Newcastle? Milner, yes, but maybe not Kabai? Certainly Haman. not Kabai. Milner's a great shout. Didi Haman, yeah. Jeannie Wijnaldum. Anyone that's gone to Liverpool apart from Enrique. Sissoko got to a Champions League semi-final. CM De Jong. Luke De Jong, definitely. <laughs> Luke De Jong, definitely. John Dahl Thomason. Yeah. Yeah. Bellamy, uh, Ross, I would say. Craig Bellamy? Yeah, Bellamy. Craig Bellamy. But people like Craig Bellamy, I mean, Craig Bellamy, didn't he win Young Player of the Season when he was with us? Or whatever? People like Craig Bellamy sort of like continued the same standards because we were a Champions League club. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in a way, some of our better players, you would say like Janola and Scott Parker, even though they were good for us, went on to win Player of the Year after being with us. Sure, but I think players Paul Gascoigne. Like, yeah, sure, but you could make the case. Paul Gascoigne went on to achieve great things, but 
I think some a lot of people who watched him play would might have say that he was never as good as when he was at Newcastle. Yeah, I think they'd say Spurs surely. <laughs> Andy Cole. Yeah. Andy Cole, but then he did score. It depends how you frame the question. It's right? a tougher one, Andy, that one, I think. Yeah. See, because Andy's got Andy Cole. There's players who went on to have great careers after leaving us. Andy Cole scored like 40-something goals in a season for us. I'm interested in players like Chancellor Mbemba mm. or James Milner who showed glimpses of potential at us, or more than glimpses of potential, but then went on to be even better when they left. You see what I mean? It depends how you're so, In a way, Peter Beardsley was, but then came back. Mm. Yeah, he did. No, that's a good shout, Peter Beardsley. Well, what about um, Florian Tovan? Because... He yeah. was not great here, garbage here, but then he was tearing up Definitely. the French League. So. I feel like he's one of those ones who we're just a blip on a pretty yeah. straight career path mm. where they just drop down inexplicably. We were just a bad album for him. Sylvain <laughs> Distan? Yeah. yeah. There's a few. Louis Saha? Didn't you only make one appearance for us? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Still counts. Doombia. Yeah. Darren, <laughs> Darren Huckabee. Darren Huckabee, yeah. Never never made an appearance, did he? Maybe in the League Cup. But yeah, there's, there's plenty of answers for you, however you want to fulfil that. I would say, though, we're an interesting club in a way, because I, I would say there's far more the other way. There's a lot of players who left for bigger clubs and underachieved. I would say, especially in recent history, we talk far more about players who got their move and it went to shit, like Kabai. K- Kabai, Debushi, yeah. Jan Matt. Any right-back we've had in the last 20 years. Santon. Yeah. And Zogbia. Yeah. I mean, Such a waste of talent. Him. He was great for a while, wasn't he? he yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, my, my, my brother, here's a little story about my brother. My brother dipped in and out of uh, of showing an interest in football. So his knowledge is not very sort of consistent. And he started playing for a football team for a little bit. And he was, and, he's, and he, uh, they asked him whose favourite player was. And he said that um, they were doing a little bit of football chat. And he said he thought that Charles and Zogbia was the best player in the Premiership. We got laughed at so hard. <laughs> I don't think he ever went back to the football team. <laughs> Next question. We've got Reverend Joe Kinsella. Says, what's the best NUFC moment you've ever experienced? The one where for a moment it was just awesome. Could be at a game, watching on TV, slash listening on the radio, or just catching up on website updates. It's a good question. And good for to me, probably that, that takeover talk that we just had. That's probably... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, go on, Paul. You answer. I was. I've got two. One where I was at a game for best moment in a game for me was Rob Lee's goal in the FA Cup semi final. Even though we lost mm. it, that's the one. That's the moment where I've been at a game and felt like everything has come together and it's perfect. But outside of that, I would say being on holiday and hearing that Alan Shearer had signed for Newcastle was the big one. Yeah. 
Um, for me, it was the Leicester game in the 96 season. Just the 4 3. Yeah, we were 3 1 down. And then Shearer just decides to score a hat trick. I mean, I was at the Barcelona game, I was at the Man U game, but that one, there's something about it. It was just a magical day and it it will stay with me forever. Um, that one was absolutely magical. The other one was the being in the Crow's Nest in Newcastle and watching the um the Fire Nord game. Oh. Um, with a mate and we just happened to start chatting to a, a young lad who was out by himself um, you know he's just standing beside us and obviously the Bellamy scored and the place erupted and we took, we took the lad down the big market and got him absolutely shit-faced it was a wonderful <laughs> night out Fergus? Oh no for me probably West Brom nil Newcastle I went to West Brom <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I went to a Fulham uh, away at Bar Road and we were in our history or anything. But um, I feel like you can't hear me right now because both your faces are frozen. We missed the beginning Can of you that. Hear me? I'd say plough on. Mm-hmm. I've got to plough on. Went to Fulham, Fulham away. I went to what? Yes, Fulham away at Loftus Road. We were 2 0 down and we went on to win it 3 2. That was Ooh, very well, One special game. mention yeah. uh, was when I went to the first home game of the season. It was Sunderland. Um, I can't remember what season it was, but it, um, I got to my seat and my dad had secretly bought the seat next to me and he was there for the whole season and me and him. Just oh. it became what we did together, and it was that was that was pretty awesome. Thanks, Rev. That's you. Was there not a tiny part of you that was like, oh, for fuck's sake? Well, I didn't think I'd be allowed to swear because I didn't swear at home, and my mum and dad never swore at home. And then I'm it's the local derby, so blood's up anyway. And within about five minutes, the, the referee made a call and my dad didn't agree with it, so leapt up out of his chair in the big Glaswegian brogue, said, Oi, ref, you fucking bastard. And I thought, brilliant, carte blanche. <laughs> I can say whatever the fuck I want. So I was, yeah, for the rest of the game, I was like, <laughs> linesman, you, you bloody bugger. <laughs> it's great. It's just magical. Oh, that's cheered me up, that. Yes. Now, Rob Farkerson asks, was the eyeball question that you bad that you cancelled the last one? Oh. <laughs> 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 it's not a delay. <laughs> the eyeball question was amazing. Yeah, I mean, you, the issue here, Rob, is what happened last no, week. it was very good. It was in the... We had to record the question about eight times. Yeah. And then we've got uh, from One Up Gaming, would it be fun in the championship? Well, who knows? Times a charm. Feels like this one could be the one where it's not fun, but you know, every time so far, it has been pretty fun. The thing that annoys me so much about the championship is not living in Newcastle and not being able to see many games that, um, a lot of the games, it's impossible to see them live because they're not even streaming anywhere. So 
But that might be different in the um, as the years go on. I think the thing we need to bear in mind about this championship uh, is as soon as you think about going down, someone will always say, well, we're going to do a lead. It Mm. it just doesn't happen anymore. Like Sunderland are probably the last one too. Yeah. But it's just the the money involved. Well, that's pretty recent. It's it's not that recent. Recent. Like five years. But generally, you look at the teams that are coming up every year, it's teams who've been relegated before. It's always going to be Norwich or West Brom. It's the, it's the usual suspects. Mm. It's I think the big fun. difference for us this year is that I don't think we've got as many saleable assets. I don't think the market is as mental as it was when we sold Sissoko for 30 million. And I don't think we've got a manager in place that would guarantee us uh, promotion as we did under Benitez. And I mean, when we went down with, uh, when we were down there with Hewton, he had effectively a mid-table Premier League side playing in the championship mm. with like two Argentinian internationals, uh, you know, England internationals. It was, it was, it was just a fun away day. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case this year, this next year. It's very, if we do go. We've there, also got, I feel like we're not badly equipped. We've also got people on red. <laughs> <laughs> Fergus, you are a good five seconds behind. Yeah. Fantastic. This is like watching, it's like the WhatsApp chat when whenever we're watching a game. Uh, Fergus is always like a minute behind everybody else's stream. <laughs> he like insists that we don't tell him what the what's happening in the game. Okay, but that's really unfair and not true because it's <laughs> Paul is always ahead. I would say, on average, you're the most behind usually, Dave. Wow. Because uh, out of the three of us, you're Fake the only news. one who watches 100% illegal football. Um, so I have uh, my illegal illegal feed. Yeah. What I was gonna What I was gonna say is, I think pretty much all of the players that we have in the squad don't have relegation clauses in their mm. contracts. And I suspect that includes Alan St. Maximum, who's just signed an Alan Pardew length plug. Um, <laughs> he's um, he's uh, a sellable asset, though, I think. You look at him yeah. and Almiron and Wilson. They're... Is, he, is he because he could... Fergus is completely there. frozen. Fergus is gone. So I, I, I think what Fergus was going to say is, is he actually a saleable asset? Because um, he's been injured loads. He hasn't actually contributed that many goals and assists this season. So is he really that set, like saleable? I would say, yeah, still the yeah. Premier League would take a punt on him. But I just don't think we would get 30 million for him. I think we might get maybe 20. And I think the, the same is true of Almiron, although we might get a bit more for Almiron. We won't think, get anywhere near sixteen million pounds for um, for Callum Wilson because he'll be thirty-two. Oh no, thank you for um, <laughs> thank you You're for characterising uh, me on Saint Maximum. Uh, okay, Fergus. I would just say it's in the a, first in one. An I just think that, even more here. I think the other thing to bear in mind, though, is that if we do go down. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll keep that in. But even if we do go down, our finances are going to be bad. But compared to the other teams in the championship, like mm. 
there's there's worries half the clubs in the championship won't survive off the back COVID, of COVID. Yeah. So we're and still all... we'll still be the financially we'll be the best in shape club in the championship if we go down. And even though Mike Ashley is um parsimonious when it comes to transfers, he does put his finger his hand in his pocket for any championship season and like just bolster the, the budget with thirty million quid long. I think it's worth saying on the zoom now we could just see Fergus's eyebrows for the last two minutes <laughs> and now he's left the chat. So hopefully he's, he's coming back in a minute. <laughs> oh, um, a question from Ice Cube Kane. Steve McLaren was sacked after his twenty eighth game, which he lost to Bournemouth. The Villa match coming up is Bruce's twenty eighth game. That's that's not true. Surely, at last season, but twenty eighth game of this season. Yeah. What do you if slash when we lose? Do you believe Ashley will finally let him go, or will he take us down again? Do you um, think if we lose to Villa, Bruce will go? No. No, I agree. I think we would have to be in the bottom three for at least at least one, maybe two games. Like after the, the the result that takes us in there for um, Ashley to pull the trigger, I think yeah. Steve Bruce. As long as we're not in the bottom three, I think Steve Bruce's job is safe, um, which is criminal. But yeah, it is what it is. I mean, I saw this thing about like we paid six point five million from to Chef Wed to to break the contract. If that is true. That is insane. Yeah. That is absolutely mental. Um, That's another example of Lee Charnley doing his job well. I mean, you just think like six million quid would have paid for Rafa's wages, for example. It 100% could have gone to a, a manager like Graham Potter or... Someone like you know, someone like that. I'm not saying him I agree. I think because we're trying not to get depressed on this pod, it's not worth thinking about what that money could be spent on. But it does bring us yeah. on to our last question: is mm-hmm. at all hail Teague says, how would each of you have spent the forty million we wasted on Joe Linton as the club and as an individual? I think as a club, Ooh. I would have bought at least one good central midfielder and a fullback for either side. Like, um, Fergus, forty back, million. By the way, welcome back. I'm Fergus. back. I, I'm back. I hope. I hope that um, uh, you represented my opinions exactly as I would say them for the whole time that I was gone. I mean, I we should, we've we said your your main mantras of Britain's full, and we <laughs> get back to the old ways of doing things. Yeah. Bring back hanging. Bring back hanging. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How would you spend the forty million, Fergus? Uh, I'd spend it on a new router. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd have to spend forty million to get one that worked. I think. I think so. I think that's what I need. Um, I think. Well, I think the last thing we should be doing is extending this pod. Any fucking further? Well, we do need to look at the next game. Villa, Friday night. The big time. It is impossible to imagine that anyone is listening this far as to this podcast. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is... 
this is like listening to a lusty scroll. Like <laughs> one of the. I feel. I feel like we've covered admirably. Yeah. I think it's just managed to find a few snippets. <laughs> um, Villa, uh, they might be missing Grealish. I think we'll lose two 0 Okay, Paul. I think if they're missing Grealish, it's got nil nil written all over it. I'd, I'd be happy just, with that. I would, to be honest, I would just take a change of formation and a, a sign that Bruce understands that we need to at least try and score. If we do 4-2-3-1 and lose 2-1, I'd almost be happy with that. But I also don't think a point would be the worst result in the world. Hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. 4-2-3-1 is for you, you're my, I've got Jacob Murphy, you've got 4-2-3-1. That, Paul, is what you will always call for and I will always call for Jacob Murphy. Murphy, I feel like neither of us will get our wish against Villa. Not always. Um, I think when Almiron... My prediction is 1-0 Villa. When Almiron, St. Maximin and Wilson are all back, I don't think we need to play 4-2-3-1. But I think when you've got Gale and Carroll available, there is no point playing Joe Linton and Ryan Fraser as your two strikers, with Joe Willock as the man in between them. Yep. It is madness. I, th- I, think that's, I think that's yeah, true. All right. Um, well, we'll leave it there. I, I, I can't thank you enough, those of you who made it to the end of this. That includes... <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think, shall we talk on behalf of Fergus? Dave? I was looking yeah. through... What else? Thank you. Anybody who's actually managed to get to the end of this and who hasn't thrown their phone in the bin, uh, thanks. And we apologise and we'll try and sort something out in the future. Yes. Probably just not invite Fergus because he doesn't add much. The problem is as well, Fergus likes to record while playing Xbox and watching a film, (laughs) which that keeps him on the edge that you need to be on to broadcast well in a podcast. But it doesn't yeah. half eat into your bandwidth. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it anyway, Paul. Yeah, I did too. Unless anyone else has anything else to say, <laughs> I think we will leave it there for this week's Newcastle Matter. Thank you very much to you, host Dave Watson. Thank you very much to the new host, Paul Doolan. And thank you, as always, to you, Graham Jones. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>